The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. To listen to tonight's interview, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Or if you're a non-member, you can stream this program for the first three to four weeks. Just go to our website and click on the non-member section to download, to use the RSS feed and take uh, Veritas with you. Subscribe. And the same goes for Sanitas. It is also being streamed. Take a look at the schedule. It plays 24-7. From the book Wisdom of the Watchers, at the time of the revolt among the angels 203,000 years ago, Georgia was among those angels who aligned themselves with Lucifer and the rebels. She has remained on this world with occasional side trips to Zandana, another planet of quarantined rebel angels, since the time of the revolution, taking on the angelic role of Watcher. Riding together with tonight's guest, Georgia provides her personal account of the period on Earth from 39,000 BC to 16,500 BC. Georgia shares her experiences being present as the Lemurian civilization in the Pacific reached its pinnacle and seismic upheavals overwhelmed its island home of Mu. She describes the elaborate Pleiadian evacuation operation and the Lemurian diaspora, explaining how their belief system took root in India, Tibet, China, and South America. Georgia shares her words in part to awaken some of the 100 million rebel angels currently living their human lives, most unaware of their angelic heritage. She reveals how a mortal incarnation for a rebel angel is an opportunity to redeem her past and help prepare the way for the imminent transformation of global consciousness as a rebellion planet, including Earth, are welcomed back into the multiverse. Tonight's special guest is Timothy Wiley, a graphic artist and writer who specializes in the study of non-human intelligences, such as angels and dolphins, after a near-death experience in 1973. Timothy is the author of many books, including the latest one titled Wisdom of the Watchers, Teachings of the Rebel Angels on Earth's Forgotten Past. And directly from the high desert of New Mexico, right next door to Arizona, I would like to welcome Timothy Wiley. Hello, Timothy, and welcome to Veritas. Well, thank you so much, Mel. Uh, 
I know you were reading the back of it. Do you know, I, because my publisher writes that, I actually had never read that. And I was admiring how, um, how compact it was. It was a very fine piece of summary. But also, of course, it outlines what a complicated situation, um, you know, the ancient past was. I mean, we've only got up to sort of, you know, eight or 10,000 years BC, you know, in our normal understanding. But of course, it goes way back from that. Absolutely. You know, beautiful words written by your publisher, I guess. But for those people who may not know who you are, I mentioned a little bit of you. But how do you become aware of all this multiverse? How did you choose to be born in London? <laughs> well, I guess I had some redeeming to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I was born in 1940, you know, the, um, you know, just at the outbreak of the war. So mm -hmm. a lot of my early memories uh, are of kind of uh, bombs dropping and uh, hiding. And uh, I had my first experience with angels at that point, although I didn't know it until I was well into my 40s. Uh, but when I was, you know, when the bombs were dropping and I was hiding underneath the table, you know, and, and my little body would all cramp up and I would pop out of my body, apparently. And um, Georgia, the angel I know working with, comforted me and hold me until the bombs had stopped. So that was my first experience. But, I, you know, in my, um, when I grew up as a, a young guy, uh, I had nothing of this. I, I, was, um, I was pretty much... Uh, uh, an outsider and, a, and an atheist and a, a rebel and a whatever, <laughs> um, you know, the, until I was in my 20s and, and studying in architecture and then a whole series of experiences kind of blasted me open. I guess, you know, one of the best ways of discovering God is, is, is denying God, <laughs> you know, because it really pisses God off, I think. So uh, that's what happened to me. Uh, God just suddenly intervened in my life, and um, that still really didn't make that much difference until my near-death experience in my 30s, and that, that rocked my boat completely, completely changed me, <laughs> as it would anybody. What happened? Well, I, I had been in a situation where I had a tremendous amount of responsibility. I was running a quite a large organization, and we were tremendously in debt, and I had to raise enormous amounts of money every month. And I just worked myself to death. I mean, it was, you know, I collapsed in my office, and I had a back being thrown over when I was a kid playing games. So I had my back had given up, my lungs had filled with gunk and, and I managed to kind of drag myself home and because I'm a kind of water guy I, I drew myself a bath and I just lay back in my bath and within a, a few minutes I mean even less perhaps uh, I was out of my body <laughs> I was I was being lifted up in the air extraordinary up and up and up and up and up I could look down the, uh, this wonderful valley beneath me and I could see this monorail a monorail car, for goodness sake, uh, was whizzing up this monorail. And next thing I knew, I was in the monorail. And it was, uh, it was wonderful things. And there was a, a black guy opposite me playing a trumpet. It was gorgeous. And I could see a, at one end of the far end of the monorail car was a very bright light. I could see a sort of figure inside it. I come to realize it must have been Christ, but I didn't announce himself as Christ. But he said, yes, you're right. You know, I realized I was dying. Uh, on my way up, 
said, you're right, you are dying. And he encouraged me to look down. I could see that Mike would just slip into the bath and drown, no big deal. Um, he said, uh, but you've, you've done what you came to do. You've accomplished what you came to do, which really surprised me. He said, so we want to give you a choice. You can either go on, i.e. go on and die, or you could return. And I gave it some thought. Uh, I realized if I went on, it was so extraordinary what was happening. It was so wonderful. And I realized, well, you know, <laughs> I'm getting more wonderful. And it wasn't going anywhere. You know, it would be there when I did die. So I decided to come back. And when I, I said, okay, I'll come back. And the whole visual field opened up and there were rows and rows of angels singing and dancing. Oh, it was just mine. And of course, in my arrogance, I go, oh, maybe that Jesus made the choice, but of course, I didn't think it was that at all. Anyway, next thing I knew, if I'm not, not boring you or your audience, but next thing I knew, I had two angels. I didn't know they were angels. I didn't believe in angels at that point beside me, and they carried me across a great, a great open plain to an enormous building that seemed alive, all sort of twisting and turning, and I was taken into the building, laid out on a, a flat slab that was like an operating table. Something came over me. I'm condensing it a little bit here. Something came over me. Little guys were sort of whistling around. I, I guess they grazed or something like that. I could just see the tops of their heads, little dome heads. And then a female voice came up behind me on my right-hand side and said, this is going to really hurt, but it's only going to be a very short very short time, and this thing swung over me, wham down into my tummy, and it really hurt, really hurt, but it was for a very short time. Next thing I knew, I was taken off that, I was taken into somewhere that I was told I wouldn't remember, and then I was brought back and taken back into my body, do, 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 like, you know, like that painting of the, of the, the nude coming down the stairs, down into my body, and the water was cool, and I got out. And I was healed. My lungs were clear. My back was okay. I, could, I, was, I, was, I was fine. And I've been fine for the last, whatever it is, 50 years. So um, something happened. You, you were healed in just in one moment? At that moment, you didn't have to wait months for the healing to take place. No, no. no I got out of my bath and everything worked. And it went on working. That's what's so astonishing. <laughs> and when you say Georgia, is this what we call spirit guide well, I, I'm not. I'm spirit guide is a fairly wide uh, thing because it could be an angel, it could be a spirit guide. You know, there are a number of different um, aspects out there. Um, but no, um, it's uh, it's an angel, it's a seraphim, uh, who you know, as our guardian angels are also seraphim, um, who uh, you know is one of the many, many angels who um, sided with Lucifer the type of rebellion. And the, re the rebellion was really about, you know, a freedom of choice, a free, you know, an opening up of of choice on, on planets, you know, that were really kind of taken care of by a centralized command system, if you like. <laughs> a centralized command system invariably never quite know what's going on, you know, out in the in the, in the boonies. And, um, you know, that's really what happened to us and these other 36 planets in our system. And uh, and we've been effectively, uh, effectively quarantined. Um, you know, normal planets, extraterrestrials come and go and they have something, you know, they have great sort of 
interplanetary communication systems. Everybody kind of knows who is who and where is where, and angels, you know, come and go, and everyone's aware of them. We're in this exceptional situation where we're very isolated, and as a consequence of this, of course, you know, because we can't uh, continually to our superiors and say, well, should I do this or shouldn't I do that? We have to make our own decisions, and we, you know, we've brought a very hardy lot here. Where we're, we're a strong crowd. Um, which has also made us, of course, you know, very interesting for the rest of the universe, which is why now you know, the rebellion is coming, coming to an end. We're starting to get more visitors in the last 50 years or so. So 1973 is when this happened. How did your life change from that moment forward? Well, on, on a physical level, it changed because I, I got healthy. But I was locked into a very complicated situation that I needed to get myself out of. I couldn't just leave this, you know, the situation because I would have left a lot of people in the lurch. So I had to figure out how to work myself out out of it. And it took me, I think, another six, another six or seven years to fully get myself out of it. Um, although you know, it took me about four years to get myself out of that particular situation and about seven years to assimilate intellectually and spiritually and emotionally what had happened. Because, I mean, I was a kind of believer in the sort of the way people are, you know. But I hadn't had the experience. I hadn't been confronted in this way by Jesus. I hadn't actually seen angels and felt angels and been healed, you know, by something I had no idea was going going on. You know, so that took a lot of time to, to digest. And it wasn't until... Um, in 1980 or so that I found myself in a new situation in which I was got involved with dolphins and extraterrestrials and ultimately angels again. And that really begun it. And then my first book, which came out in uh, 84, was called Dolphins, Angels, and Dolphins, ETs, and Angels. So that really kind of summarized you know, my interest at that point. And so it's continued from there. Why do we always see cetaceans, uh, dolphins, whales, and so on? I think they're very, very special animals with an intelligence beyond what we can comprehend as humans. Why are they so relevant to the well-being of the planet? Well, there are many levels um, and ways of answering that. Um, I, I would say that intelligence is very different from ours. I think, I think it's a comparable intelligence, but you know, they've been at it for a lot longer than we have. I mean, we've been around for about a million years, you know, our intelligence is about a million years ago, we're pretty much like ours now. Dolphins have been around for 35 million years with the equivalent intelligence. (laughs) You can do an awful lot of thinking in 35 million years. But of course, because they don't have hands, because they don't manipulate their environment like we do, they're much more focused on the inner world, right? So they travel on the inner world, as we would if we travel out of our body. So they, they're very much citizens of a multiverse. You know, they come and they go. And, um, you know, being sophisticated in that, uh, that way, um, they're very much here. I mean, it's a difficult one to, to, to explain, but self-sacrifice, sacrificing oneself for the greater good, is, is very, held in very high esteem in the, the larger universe frame, right? It's the best thing one can do if one's faced with it. Um, and so dolphins being very sophisticated on a spiritual level, 
you know, they, in a sense, are giving their lives to wake us up, are, are demonstrating to us, because our oceans are, you know, the greatest vulnerability, actually, on the thing. If the oceans go, we're screwed, everybody's screwed, you know. If the skies get dark, we still have a pro- you know, we still have ways of dealing with it, but the oceans forget it. So, um, you know, they're here to remind us, you know. <laughs> um, what is their that, purpose? Yeah. What is their purpose in terms of communication with, I guess what I'm trying to say is why can't, if a species such a, as, as dolphins and whales are so smart, why can't we devise a way to communicate with them? I guess there are some people who can. Well, yes, of course, I do. <laughs> yes, there are people who can. Right. But of course, what they tell us isn't really very welcome to a lot of people. You know, it's a pretty frightening, um, frightening concept. I go into it in, in my second book, actually, because I witnessed a dolphin um, beaching, and I was able to, I was able to look into a dolphin's eye as it was in the process of dying. And I knew in those moments that he was in ecstasy. But it, 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 was, it, was, it was in heaven. It, it, it was the most joyful thing he could be doing. And I knew at that moment that, yes, there was an aspect of self-sacrifice going on. Now, there's also another level of motives, of course. I mean, firstly, not all dolphins and not all whales are extraterrestrial, you know, <laughs> whatever. You know, it's like some people are just people, you know. Uh, some dolphins are just dolphins, but we've got this unusual, you know, quite a large group of dolphins who are um, who come from uh, Sirius, right, well, military close star system, um, and they have a particular um, cosmology, if you like, whereby they um, reach a certain point in their evolution. They choose to incarnate as a dolphin on this planet, right? And then when they have finished their incarnation as a dolphin, they incarnate as a human being on this planet. And that is regarded by this particular lineage as being a really great thing to do. I mean, it's surprising for us. Anyone would want to be here. But as well then, this is a very important little planet. And it will become more and more important as the years pass uh, for all sorts of very interesting, complex, and political cosmic reasons. But suffice it to say that everybody wants to be here. And that's why we've got, I don't know, 120 or 200, I don't know, different um, uh, ET races now, you know, buzzing around and keeping an eye and trying to interfere if they can. <laughs> but they all kind of cancel each other out. I mean, it's very clever. Why haven't they intervened? Because when I look at this planet, I think it would be so much better off without humans, the biggest predator on Earth. Aside from, of course, a lot of native tribes around the world can coexist and, and, and let's say what it is, be nice to the planet. But here in the new, quote-unquote, new world, we treat this planet as if we had another one to go to. What do they say about us? Well, who who the they you're talking about? Well, pick one, pick one of the many extraterrestrials, or yes, <laughs> all of them, right? <laughs> well, um, firstly, it's not legitimate to intervene, right? It's, it's a sophisticated uh, culture cannot 
you know, by overall kind of rules, just come and dump itself down on the planet and bully everybody into being good people. That's not the way it works. Um, you know, each planet is devised for uh, mortal beings who, you know, go through the chain. We all go through our changes. What we're learning to deal with is basically opposition we're de- learning. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.